Retro Hangover is supported via Patreon by listeners like you. We would especially like to thank patrons Lyle McCarns, Ashton Ruby, Randall Quiggle, Tony G, Katie Quigg, Paul Romalo, Jared Kernop, Raging Demon, Masked Llama, Ozzy Garcia, Keith Gasper, and Diskimera. Your continued engagement and generous donations are deeply appreciated. Open your ears and crack some beers. You are listening to episode 96 of Retro Hangover. Retro and classic gamers, welcome to the podcast where we are making merriment morosely, missing missionary malcontents, merge metropolises, and other M's. This is episode 96 of Retro Hangover. I am your co-host, Chris Copleen, with, as always, your host, Shane, Space Pirate Dick Dragon Koski. I like that you worked other M into the pretentious preamble. It was very well done. That's why all the M's in the second part don't make any sense. So I could just stuff it in somewhat <laughs> sensically. Ha <laughs> Eat it. Eat it, Metroid fans. Uh man. That's... That just reminds me. Well, actually, it reminds me of a couple of things. One, that I still have all of the Metroid games on my Wii U that I actually need to play. And also that at some point, maybe in the the far flung future, we, we may end up talking about other M, which I don't know if I'm excited about. But but that's not what we're talking about today. No, it's not. We're talking about the OG. The OG. That's right. The mother of other M's. Mm. That's a big brain move. Yeah, it's almost like the mother brain of other M's. <laughs> what? I, what? I don't know. I think we lost it somewhere along the way. Anyway. I, it's my fault. <laughs> How are you doing, Chris? Uh, I don't know. I think I'm doing okay. Yeah. Like I said in last episode, we're, we're front loading a lot of this, so it hasn't been that many days since we recorded last time. So trying to transfer to my next command, and it seems like people aren't communicating or haven't communicated the way they're supposed to, which is shocking for military work, believe it or not. It's being incredibly facetious there. Yeah, I was going to say, what, what do you mean? The, the military is inefficient? I am surprised and appalled. I mean, we we try to bomb terrorists and we hit churches. It happens sometimes, you know, you just I mean, uh, that's terrible. No, I'm sorry. They could have been hiding. Maybe in the church. The Probably not. But who knows? You know, we're we're doing uh, this. We're, we're doing this. Uh, we're doing God's work, as we usually say. That's right. We're spreading democracy. Yes. All over a crater. But. I I really haven't played a lot of additional games. I have played the game du jour, 
And I have also continued to play Tokyo Mirage Sessions Sharp FE. And holy shit, that game is really a Shin Megami Tensei game. It has this facade of being this really cute kind of easy game. But you have to imagine the lineage of the game, of course, which is Shin Megami Tensei and Mm. Fire Emblem. Those games are not. Well, I'm not going to say they're not cutesy because there's our games in the Fire Emblem series where you drink tea and there's a lot of cute things that happen in the Persona series. But in terms of difficulty, this game does not give a fuck about you. You just kind of have to figure it out and it will punish you if you do not know what you're doing. So hmm, I've got my ass kicked a couple times. That sounds strangely relevant. What do you mean? Given today's discussion. Oh, yes, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> uh, but actually, no, the. Tokyo Mirage Sessions is more forgiving than the game of today. I will say mm. that uh, even with the well, with the guide it's a little bit different and we'll get into that as well. But I am I, I still am thoroughly enjoying my time with Tokyo Mirage Sessions. And if you like JRPGs outside, you know, quick preview of my inevitable rapid fire review that will be on our Patreon for our RHP Turbo members yeah uh, i will say that if you do enjoy jrpgs you should get it but i'll get into more detail when i get to it so how about you shane how are you doing uh you know i'm i'm, I'm doing all right uh you know as we talked about on the last episode a lot of real life things occurring at the moment but fortunately uh predominantly good things which you know honestly is, is a nice change I I don't know. I guess we'll see where the world's going. I feel like we're headed towards lockdown to electric boogaloo, but thank you, Willie. Who knows? Yeah. yeah. (laughs) But I mean, you know, honestly, that doesn't really change a whole hell of a lot for me. I work remotely and I order my groceries delivered to my house. So I'm a fucking hermit regardless. So life goes on. But as far as games, I haven't really had time to play much of anything other than cramming for uh all the good shit that we're going to be talking about in the next uh several weeks to months so uh, it's actually been a lot of prep work um as a matter of fact because you know as is sort of part and parcel to the whole retro gaming thing particularly pc gaming sometimes it takes a little bit of work to get those things up and running. And uh, so that's been some of my time spent is getting some older uh, PC titles to be running the way that I want them to so that we can properly talk about them in in the coming months. Uh, So, yeah, so that's that's honestly that's been the majority of my time other than, uh, you know, busting out my my handy dandy little retroid pocket to uh retroid crush uh this game in like an evening so uh i love that the thing you played this on was called a retroid oh i didn't even think about that Mm, you're right how apropos i don't think there's any other way to play it no i mean there is but you'd be wrong yeah if you don't play it on a retroid you could get lost (laughs) just directionally lost much like in this week's game which is metroid Mm. for the nintendo entertainment system space hunter am i based i guess i'm based so we're going to talk about this game which is significant to many of you i'm sure lots of people love metroid but much like zelda we're not going to hold anything back today i think we need to put that out before we get started so if you're expecting us to just you know suck metroid's dick 
which I don't think they well, have any. You have you have a couple of surprises in store then, if that's the case. <laughs> well, what, her name's not Metroid. Okay, this isn't 1987 <laughs> anymore. Okay, I like to play as Zelda. He's cool and swings a sword. <laughs> but if you were expecting this, okay, it's probably not going to happen. But before we really get into what we're talking about. It is what we are want to do and give you the brief history of these games before we get started. So, Shane. Yes. Please give us the brief history of this game called Metroid. It's a momentous occasion when a game lays the groundwork for, or completely redefines, an entire genre. These milestone releases are rare, and for a good reason. In the mid-1980s, Nintendo had begun to create games the likes of which had never been seen before. 1985's Super Mario Bros. became the benchmark by which all other platformers would be measured, Early 1986 saw the release of The Legend of Zelda, which made the action-adventure genre accessible to the gaming masses for the first time. This was not all Nintendo had up their collective sleeve, however. Before the year was through, they would establish the third major tentpole franchise in their roster, a title combining some of the best elements of their previous two successes, and they would dub it Metroid a portmanteau of the words Metro and Android. Development on Metroid began shortly after the completion of Zelda by Nintendo's R&D One team, who would refer to the project as a scrolling shooter game. With Gunpei Yokoi taking the helm as director, the team set out to build an experience unlike any other, starring a galactic bounty hunter named Samus Aran, tasked with the elimination of a band of space pirates and the monumentally dangerous biological cargo that they had stolen. Yukoi's directorial style during this project became more fluid than in past outings, with many of the team crossing over into other areas of development. In one example, composer Hirokazu Tanaka stated that he had a hand in the game's graphics and encounter designs, in addition to penning the score. This free-flowing attitude may have carried over into the actual game design itself. While many scrolling action titles of the day were heavily linear, Metroid would deviate from this formula and allow players to roam freely, exploring areas and accomplishing goals largely in whatever order they chose. The one major exception to this philosophy was the decision to lock certain key areas of the map away from players until they had obtained a specific power-up. A novel idea, at the time, that would go on to be a defining feature of the genre now widely known as the Metroidvania. Another novel concept was the idea of a female protagonist. According to interviews with the development staff, the notion came about due to one developer simply wondering aloud, wouldn't it be kind of cool if it turned out that this person inside the suit was a woman? Which seems fitting, since the game itself is heavily inspired by the 1979 horror film Alien, which prominently features a female protagonist. Staff also went so far as to include a sprite that would show Samus without a suit to make sure that gamers knew she was female. Something that would take Western audiences by surprise at the end of the game as the English manual refers to Samus as he. 
Metroid would release on August 6th of 1986 in Japan for the Famicom Disk System, with a near simultaneous release in North America for the PlayChoice 10, Nintendo's NES arcade unit. Because the game was on disk in Japan, players would be allowed to save their progress with an allowance of three different save slots, similar to The Legend of Zelda. When the game was released in North America on August 15, 1987, and Europe on January 15, 1988, the save feature would be removed, and instead be replaced by a password system to record progress. Reception was decidedly positive, for both commercially and critically, receiving high scores from the limited number of publications in circulation at the time. The game itself would see multiple reprints and re-releases, ultimately going on to sell 2.7 million units worldwide. Metroid would prove popular enough to warrant the establishment of an entire franchise, with games in the series being released to this day. The original title would even see a remake for the Game Boy Advance in Metroid Zero Mission, featuring enhanced graphics and a deeper backstory. While fans of the series will argue that Metroid is one of Nintendo's largely neglected intellectual properties, especially when compared to its two other tentpole counterparts, there's no denying it still has a major place in gaming with a legacy that reaches far beyond its own name. And that is your brief history of Metroid. Thank you, Shane, for giving us a brief history on Metro Android Castlevania. That's right. That's some really interesting stuff. I just wanted to kind of laugh at the fact that Metroid itself is intended to be a portmanteau, and then you have Metroidvania, which is a portmanteau, which is how many people refer to that style of gameplay. So is there a, is there a term for a double portmanteau? Uh, a port portmanception? I, I don't know. Is that, is that still funny? Are inception jokes still funny? It's French, so I guess it would be a portmanteau. <laughs> a portmanteau. Yeah, portmanteau. I, I, <laughs> sure, why not? I don't know. It's, port, it's portman, portmanteaus all the way down. <laughs> Fuck it. Let's portman do it. Uh I I find it also kind of funny that they just sort of settled on that name just because they didn't have time to like get the translations through on what they actually wanted to call it, evidently. That that's which, the story. Which was? Uh which was just Space Hunter. They wanted to call that's it Bounty Hunter also, name. but their original take on it was Space Hunter, which yeah, it's I, th I think we can all agree that you know, weird, weird portmanteau origins aside, I, I feel like Metroid's probably the the better title. Yeah, Metroid is much better than Space Hunter. And then if it was called Bounty Hunter, the main character would be called Dog, and we wouldn't like that. It suck. <laughs> and uh, I think Metroid Space Mullets. Uh, maybe, maybe Samus does have a mullet. With these graphics, it's hard to tell. It's uh, <laughs> true. Yeah, you know, business in the front, party in the back. So personal experiences, let's break this down. Personal mm. experiences yes. as, as we usually do. I already said the word want or else I use it again. Yeah, we, we got our, we hit our want quota. So yes, we have. I'll go first on this because I'm looking at the notes. You have probably a better story than I do. All right. 
And I will say this, uh, I didn't own this game growing up, but I think if you had an NES and you knew people who had a Nintendo Entertainment System, that you probably played this game at some point in your life. It was inevitable. I don't remember the first time I played this game. I know I played it when the NES was still relevant. I know I have attempted to play it after the NES was relevant, just because Metroid was supposed to be one of these games that was sacrosanct Mm. and could do no wrong. And I never really liked it. And I always put it down quite briefly after playing it. And I just never really got into it. I mean, the the entire idea when I was a kid, I, I really got behind. But I do not remember liking this game at all when I was a kid and I didn't have it. In fact, I don't think I owned any of the Metroid games as a child until Metroid Prime. So how about yourself? I just want to point out, I find it interesting that you mentioned that you liked the idea of the game, but not the game itself. And I feel I feel like that is a that is a commentary just on this era of games, at least for me in general. Like I always loved the concept of a lot of these games, but never felt like I truly enjoyed like actually playing them. So I was just thinking about like this game and like life force and stuff there. They have such cool like box art and like the concept behind them is always so like, you know, interesting and neat. And then you actually play the game and you're like, oh, the programmers hate me. Obviously, that's the only explanation for this. Life Force. Life Force is great. (sighs) It's hard as fuck, though. But anyway, so, uh, yeah, I I own this game when when I was but a wee child. And uh, it, it was one of the like handful of NES cartridges that I did own. I have no idea how I got it. I'm sure I probably picked it up at like a yard sale or something because I don't think I ever... I don't think my parents ever bought a new NES game for me that I can remember. I think everything I got was just like, you know, bought, used somewhere or something, which is whatever. It's fine. But I did have the manual with it. So that helped a little. Yeah, man, this was something that like I actually played frequently. I won't say like played a lot because I feel like that implies that I put a ton of like intensive time into it. And I didn't. I played it frequently in that. I would occasionally come back to it and be like, oh, yeah, this game was kind of neat. I like the idea of it. Let me throw it back in. And I pop it in to the old NES, you know, close the little lid and uh, play for maybe 20 minutes and be like, oh, right. I remember why I stopped playing this. (laughs) <laughs> and uh that was pretty much the cycle for me and and metroid it was just uh, the things that i remember that stick out the most to me that kind of caused this were were twofold one was i always just felt like i had no idea what i was doing or where i was going and two there were certain enemies and enemy patterns that always just frustrated me so much and could be almost unfairly difficult if you don't really stop and think about the patterns. And as a kid, I honestly really didn't. So those two things combined made it so that this was something that uh, I wanted to like, but it sat on my shelf a lot. Yeah, because it it looked cool. And yeah, we'll get to it later. But the music is cool. It's a cool concept. You're a bounty hunter in space killing aliens. You want to like this game. Mm hmm. Especially if you're like a young child, especially like a a boy, you know, like a young boy, you're like, 
oh wow, killing aliens in space. This is this is fucking tits. We love this. It's it's good shit. And then it was literally tits, surprisingly. Uh, you know, good surprise. And I, I think we'll we'll kind of get into that briefly here with the plot writing. But yeah, this is definitely a game that you want you wanted to love. And I don't I you know, even personally when I talk to people. They have a lot of the same stories that we do with their own personal experiences with this game. Mm-hmm. It's just they they fire it up, they play it for a little bit, and they're like, "What? Like I, <laughs> I don't like this. <laughs> this does not bring me joy." <laughs> That's right. You gotta Mary Kondo that thing and just toss it in the bin. <laughs> so let's let's get into that plot writing. What I just you know the, the, what the plot, the entire scripting, how the game was developed. What did make this game special in, as- in that aspect, in your opinion? Because I think there are elements here that you can say, yeah, this game is really fucking special. Yeah. And OK. And, and it is. I feel like I feel like we should get that out of the way sooner rather than later that I I am not I am not here to say that Metroid is a bad game or that it doesn't deserve the legacy that it has. What we are trying to accomplish here is pointing out the fact that it is much like anything else not perfect and especially games from this era man they they all they all had some things in common that kind of make them kind of rough uh to go back to and one of those things is the fact that like the vast majority or in some cases 100 percent of the plot is located entirely in the instruction manual (laughs) so if you don't happen to have that then you kind of have no fucking idea what's going on like I said, fortunately, I did have a copy of the manual with my cartridge, so I had a decent idea of like the backstory, which in itself is actually pretty interesting. And you, this isn't really communicated in the game at all. So if you just fire up Metroid and start playing, you know, without any context, you'll have no idea about any of this stuff. But the basic premise is the year is 20x5, which I guess implies that it's sometime before the year 2100. So ostensibly, you know, Metroid will occur within perhaps our lifetimes. Who knows? This is what COVID gave us as Metroids. That's right. That's the the logical evolution. (laughs) And so the year is 20X5. There is a galactic federation of planets, uh, and they have, of course, a federation police force um, that they have put together to help protect the intergalactic shipping lanes Uh, from one planet to another, from space pirates. So everything is all, you know, Star Trek-y and Federation, and everybody's super peaceful and fantastic, and then some fucking pirates have to show up, because of of course they do. Yarr. So said pirates eventually, unknowingly, I would imagine, pilfer a research station and steal this unknown alien life form that's in like a in stasis um, that was found on the planet SR388 um, that the Federation dubbed uh, Metroid. That's what they're calling the the life form. And so the pirates, I guess, pretty quickly figure out that, uh, you know, pirates gonna be evil. So pirates gonna pirate and realized that these Metroids uh, are like self-replicating and as far as anyone knows, is the reason that the planet SR388 got like completely wiped out, uh, the other inhabitants of the planet anyway, are because of these Metroids. And so the pirates are like, what if we could weaponize this? Because of course. So the Galactic Federation tries to throw a bunch of forces at their fortress planet of Zebes, which is misspelled in the game's intro, by the way, as Zebeth. Zebeth. Yeah. 
and fail. So they turn to super awesome galactic bounty hunter Samus Aran to infiltrate the fortress planet and destroy the pirates and the the dangerous Metroid specimen. And so that that's your backstory, which is pretty fucking cool. You know, you're, you're playing as like this. Well, I guess this was the, the proto space Marine, right? It was like, it's like the first, well, maybe not the first, but one of the first, uh, takes on the whole, I'm a invincible space Marine trope that we'd see several times afterwards, but, but it's a pretty neat story. It's the OG master chief motherfuckers. That's right. The, the OG doom guy. <laughs> you could say that. And I do like the fact that it's kind of saying, yeah, uh, the Federation is Wayland Utani. I, I do enjoy yeah. that aspect. One thing I do like about the plot and, and the writing mm-hmm. is that it's far more mature than anything Nintendo had really put out prior to this, at least to my knowledge. Right. You have Mario and it's like evil turtle king turns, you know, toads into bricks, which is kind of dark when you really think about Mario, <laughs> uh, which, you know, many people have thought about before. But um, yeah, it's it's like just go kill the Koopa guy because he's bad and he took over a kingdom and you need to save the princess. And then with Zelda, it's like you need to save the princess from the evil pig demon who got all the Triforce pieces or all these magical pieces that make a triangle. And then you get to Metroid and it's like, okay, what if we like, (coughs) like we fucking take like alien and then we put it on a bigger scale and we like take the chick from alien and She's like representing like the company and she's killing the space pirates, bro. And we can make this deep. Like it's far more deep than Mario Zelda. That's for sure. And I think that is intriguing. I really do. Like, I think that's something that should be noted is it's extreme. I'm extremely appreciative about it. I do like the fact they have a female protagonist and they're they're relatively unabashed about it mm-hmm. because you finish the game, you get a female protagonist. And that was very, very uncommon back in 1986, let alone 1987 when it came to the United States or even 1988 when it got to Europe. So when you see that from Nintendo, who is pretty much ruling the roost, they didn't have to do that. They could have you know, not even stated Samus's gender and just let, left it kind of like Master Chief. Well, I mean, Master Chief's obviously a dude. But they could have just made it like this nameless, faceless space marine that's going out and killing aliens on behalf of the the Federation. But they didn't do that. And I applaud Nintendo for, you know, taking that step in an era where you didn't really get a lot of representation for 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 female characters. I think that's really cool. I think what they did with the plot and how they tried to approach it on a more mature angle. Now, this is R&D one, which had Gunpei Yokoi. This isn't Shigeru Miyamoto's jam. So that may have had a lot to do with it. I think this is really a step forward in terms of just mainstream video games, because you saw these plots in PC games before. I'm not going to be naive and say, oh, there's nothing really like this in, in video games at the time. That's bullshit. But you did. This is something that as a mainstream game, as a first party game, is something that is being promoted on the premier system of the time. Yeah, this is significantly important for a game like that. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, even I mean, I'm sure I can't think of anything off the top of my head, but I'm sure that this was not the first take on this kind of, you know, sci-fi action sort of setting or whatever. But I mean, keeping in mind, this is still 1986. So, I mean, even yeah, even personal computers were still relatively new at the time. 
Oh, definitely. And I, you're not saving a princess. That is a, that is a trope that was heavily dominated at the time. You're just you're yeah. trying to extract an alien specimen. That's for that time. I understand that's not foreign to movies because it was based off a movie. But for that time for video games, that's a huge step forward that you're not trying to save a person. You're trying to save. You're not even trying to save anything. You're just trying to stop and destroy something. That's not something you really saw from from gaming in general. Like you're not trying to save the world. You're not trying to save a person. You're not trying to save humanity. You're just get the Metroid back, bounty hunter. And it's like, okay, wow. Interesting. That's really that's cool. And and for what it's worth, you know, I, I actually kind of also really appreciate the way that it sounds like the idea of Samus being a woman was even presented in that without without getting like too political or anything i feel as though we've crossed that stream already <laughs> it's refreshing <laughs> to just hear that there was somebody that was just like hey this would be a cool idea it wasn't motivated by some sort of like cynical like forced representation thing or like let's make sure that the kids know we're woke bullshit like it was literally right. just hey you know it'd be neat if it was a if it was a girl, that was it. Yeah, that was it. Wasn't it cool? And Ripley killed aliens. Yeah. 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 Let's make Ripley kill aliens again. That'd be cool. Yeah. Yeah. And and that like that level of like just nonchalantness about it. Just like I said, it actually feels really refreshing to me. So <laughs> it's it's a nice change, <sighs> especially in today's world. That's yeah, for certain. Yeah. And it's the same with Fantasy Star, you know? Yeah. S- speaking of Fantasy Star. Hmm. There's there's something missing in this game. What? I can't imagine. Was also missing in Fantasy Star. Hmm. And that's kind of leads us into the gameplay. So Shane, what am I talking about? What's missing in Metroid that was missing in Fantasy Star that enhances the game when you have it? Huh. Uh, you know, that's that's a good question. I you know, I got to really think about that one. I mean, I've got, you know, I I'm pretty sure I have a pad of graph paper sitting around here somewhere which might be related to the map a fucking map this game needs it's a map. map it's the map it's the map it's the map it's oh, the map dude oh my god this is one of this is what i said this is one of the major reasons why i wanted to like this game when i was a kid so badly but god damn this game needs a map it's bad i think they probably could have done it too. Of course, I'm not a game developer in 1986, so I have no fucking idea. But even when you look at The Legend of Zelda, they provided a shitty map. Oh, yeah, that map was garbage, but at least it was yeah. there. Yeah, and they had a secondary screen. There was a secondary screen. Yeah. So I don't know what they were th- unless, you know, I have my theories, right? No, no. Well, OK, no, I know what they were thinking. I know exactly right. what they were thinking because they wrote it in the fucking instruction manual. If you look hmm. in the manual... There is a page in there that is a map and you can't see the air quotes that I'm doing right now, but just trust me, they're there. And the the map is hilarious because it's basically just like, I think four, right? Yeah. Like basically like four roughly rectangular shapes connected together that say like Brinstar and Norfair and Turian. And they're like, these are the general locations of the zones. And and that's it. There's no like hallways. There's nothing mapped out. It's literally just these are how they are laid out in relation to one another. And then the text that accompanies that is like, 
here's a map to help you out. Or better yet, draw it yourself. It says that? Yeah, it, it says that. Oh. So, like, they knew what they were doing right from the beginning. And listen, for the record, in theory, and I always say this because in practice it never quite works out this way because it didn't work out this way with Fantasy Star either. But in theory, I can see how it would be cool to be like, oh man, I, I'm like, I'm, I'm really on an adventure. I need to map this out myself and figure out where I need to go. Like there's some level of that that's like compelling, I guess. But also it's like a lot of work <laughs> and, and even yeah. then you can still get lost because there are definitely sections of this game where, I mean, they are assholes and trick you into falling down a shaft and then you have no idea how far that was in relation to where you were. So that makes it really difficult to accurately map your route. So yeah, man, maps are useful as it turns out. It's it's even worse than that when you say they're assholes about it with this map, because there will be sections of this game in the same area where you'll walk into a room and the enemy layout will be identical. Oh my God, yes. To, to what it is in another area. So when you hear complaints about people saying, it's, it's easy to get lost because the scenery looks too familiar. Okay, like I'm not entirely on board with that because like map structure and where you can go, that's not too hard to figure out, I think. Where it gets confusing is when you go into a room and every enemy is in the same position that it was in another room. If you're not putting that down on graph paper, if you're not designing that, or even if you are putting it down on graph paper, it's going to confuse you and make you wonder what the fuck is going on? Are you in the same room? I even did this with a map mm-hmm. on the side. I was thinking to myself, am I in the same room again? I just did this room. <laughs> it's the exact same design, exact same enemy placements until I started moving over to the, you know, the, the right or the left, depending on the location. I'm like, oh, OK, it starts to get different once I make it further. But if you go into that room, you're going it's 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 fucked up like they did. I understand early game development, but it's it sucks. Uh, yeah. And I'm trying to figure out, though, if it was like on purpose just to be obtuse or if it was just an oversight where there's like only so many configurations of platforms and enemies they could think of. And they just happened to do the same thing a couple of times. I, I don't know, but I, I totally ran into the same thing. Like at the time of this recording, I played through the entirety of Metroid from start to finish and beat it last night. It took me about four hours and that was also uh, heavily supplemented with a walkthrough and a shitload of save states, but I did it. And there was at least two times I can think of right now off the top of my head where I had that exact same experience where I was like, I swear I was just in this room. And I had to second guess myself because I thought I somehow doubled back, even though that would completely break the laws of physics. But I I was so like lost at that point. Yeah. And the other problem is that I ran into there's destructible walls and everything like that. And anyone knows this about Metroidvania is that the map, if you just take a map by itself, there's always ways to get around the map. Like you can blow a hole in a wall to, to traverse it or anything like that. In Metroid, these are so nondescript that it's almost not fair because sometimes you have to know where they are in order to get to it. 
And sometimes you have to know that they're there in order to get to certain items Mm -hmm. or to make getting to items easier. And like the entire floor will look the same. Essentially what, what I'm thinking that their thought process was because this had to be the only thought process in order to beat this game or complete the game or play it to the satisfaction of what the developers expected you to do is you needed to just constantly play this game over and over and over and over again for like hours and hours and hours and hours. And I understand like that's probably an accomplishment in game design in 1986, because if you got a game and it costs you $60, you're going to want your value out of it. So memorizing these areas and playing it over and over and over again and finding secrets and like turning into a morph ball and bombing the shit out of everything on the floor. Yeah, that's something who loves the who's someone who loves the game and only has this game would do. But that's not something a typical game player in current era is probably going to do when they engage in a game. No, no, probably not. And or absolutely not. Anyway, I can't think of anybody who would want to do that. And and it's not even that they're that the locations of these hidden items are, you know, obscure or something. There is literally zero indication that a secret passageway or like a breakable wall exists at all. It it, it is identical textures and sprites to everything else that is around it. So you're right. The only way to know this is quite literally to just run around spamming your gun at everything and bombing the shit out of every floor you come across, hoping to find something. And the kicker of that is that it's not just nice to haves or like little bonus items that are cool to find or whatever that you would end up seeing in future, you know, Metroidvania style games. They are required items in order to even finish the game or have a hope of being able to finish the game in any sort of sensible fashion. And that, I mean, that's just like, that's mean. (laughs) There's, there's no other way to say it. That's just fucking mean. Well, there are some good things and bad things about it too. Like at the same time, it's good and bad. So one of the things I found early was the first um, ice beam upgrade, Mm -hmm. which you find by like going down sand. Right. And I have com- I have complaints about the sand and the lava here in a minute, too. Oh, I mean, the fact that, like, there's a ton of fake lava that you'd never know about. Yeah. And it looks identical. And mm-hmm. I'll get to that. I'll oh. get I'll get plenty into the fucking sand and lava. So you go down the lava, you get the ice beam and then you can't get out. At least the way I remember playing it was or I maybe I just couldn't figure it out. I even had a map. I'm like, how the fuck? I got this ice beam. How do I get out of here now? Oh, like, what do I, I know? Do? No, I know exactly what you're talking about. And there yeah. is a way to get out of there because I was able to do it. But again, that's yeah. because I was using an actual walkthrough. But right. you basically need to jump back up on top of that lava and then set like shoot the the, the floor that's above you, the one that you drop down through to open yeah. it up and then set bombs. And as you as the bombs explode and bump you up in midair hit jump and you will actually jump in midair and it'll give you enough height to get back up. Yeah. But no one's no, no one's going to naturally know that bullshit. No, absolutely not. No, you'd never know that. But the good thing is the good news. If you want to call it good news Mm. is that if you die, you get sent back to the beginning with all your upgrades. Yeah. Yeah. So you can almost do a soft reset with all your upgrades and at a start at the beginning point. Which I actually look, no bullshit. 
I appreciate that. If yeah. you're lost and you really you find an upgrade and you're like, well, I don't know what to do. And especially if you like want to save, which you can't do because password save, which is whatever. But you want to get that password and you don't have any more time. You can get that upgrade. You can die. You can get your password. And once you get your password, you start out exactly with all the upgrades you have. So I, I do appreciate that. I understand that that had to be a necessity of the era. You couldn't do what you did with like Castlevania Symphony of the Night or, or Super Metroid later, where if you died, you lose those upgrades because you didn't save the game because you could save the game. Right. In this situation, there was no safe room for you to do that. So it necessitated you keeping your upgrades upon death. Yeah, and, and you're right. It is also kind of a, a nice way, perhaps somewhat unintuitive but still a nice way to kind of re-baseline yourself like if you do end up getting lost or something you're like okay well fucking i'll just die i know i'll keep all my stuff i know where the beginning is and then you can sort of recalibrate from there so yeah i can see the benefit in that for sure so i think we've fished enough about the map the map needs to be there the map is shit Uh because it doesn't exist there is no map you have to make your own map so it sucks how about the actual gameplay controls so the gameplay is good, um, really yep. good. It's probably one of the reasons that most folks kind of hold this in such high regard is, you know, as far as platformers go, it's it's solid. The only thing really that I would have a nitpick about when it comes to the controls is the jumps, which mm-hmm. might be kind of a big deal given that it's a platformer. But uh, it always, even when I was a kid and still to this day, when I was playing it yesterday, the jumping just feels really floaty and imprecise, especially for a game where there are certain sections that force you to be incredibly precise with your jumps to not fall into lava or have to restart a shooting blocks and then jumping up and waiting for them to reform timing sequence, which is total bullshit. That's a different topic, though. <laughs> but yeah, it, it that was the only problem that I had with it. And it gets actually worse when you get the screw attack upgrade, because as cool as the screw attack is, and it is very helpful, uh, it also makes your jumps like even more imprecise and erratic, um, which becomes especially infuriating during the final countdown sequence after you defeat Mother Brain. I hated that sequence. Yeah. But other than that, other than the kind of, you know, floaty jumping or whatever, the rest of the game feels real good to play. And it honestly gets better as you collect more upgrades because at the beginning, eh, it's kind of shitty. You know, your gun only shoots like about arm's length away from you and you don't really have much going for you. You got real low health, you know, and all that. But as soon as you get that long beam and start picking up some upgrades, like it feels pretty good. Yeah, I think that's one of the biggest contributions that Metroid did leave on the gaming industry for for, a, for an action platformer, at least, was those pickups that you made weren't, weren't temporary pickups. They were permanent pickups. They were things that you got to keep with you throughout the entirety of the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, but before I really touch on that, I'll have to 100% agree with you on in terms of the jumping. And that's something I had to learn is how to jump, because even before you get the screw attack, if you were jumping and Samus decides to do her flips and, and continue like like rolling in the air, that becomes almost nigh and weldy. Like mm-hmm. you get into that situation and it's almost a 50-50 chance that you're gonna land where you want to, just because the momentum on where Samus goes once they once she starts rolling. Now, if 
what I found is I could press the A button or the jump button. And if I press the jump button and then press my direction, Samus wouldn't roll. Yep. But if I had the direction and then press the jump button or press them simultaneously, then Samus would roll. So that was that's something I like. The controls shouldn't be that nuanced, but they were that nuanced. And when it comes to accurately landing your jumps, I would have to keep that in mind, especially because there's one part in the game where they, they have these little tiny bubbles. You have to jump on above la- uh, lava, oh, which geez. isn't that big of a deal, because by that point you have the Varia suit. But it's still like. You, I had to keep that in mind and I made it through without any problems, but I could imagine someone trying to do that and getting extremely frustrated with that. Hi. Yes, that's me. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> I reloaded like at least a good half dozen times trying to do that. Also, that asshole dragon shooting fire at you at the same time doesn't help. But yeah, I don't know. I never had an issue with that, but I could definitely see how people could. Where I had an issue and I said I get to this with the sand and the lava is that you would hit these enemies who especially ones that would pop out of the lava and the fucking uh, sand or whatever, and then make a beeline towards you. They would just home in on you wherever you are on the screen. Yeah, fuck Uh. those people. Fuck those things. So they would hit you while you were jumping and then you'd fall into the sand and jumping out of the sand is a fucking pain in the ass. Mm -hmm. And you'll just stay down there and I'll just go. It'll like rapidly make these beeping sounds like you're taking damage and you'll try to get up and then you'll try to jump and you can't get up. And then like a pixel of Samus is hitting some platform to your left or to your right. So it's stopping you from getting out of the sand. It's like, what the fuck? This sucks. And uh, that's where I had to load a lot of my safe states is because I would fall into these sand pits and I couldn't get out of them. And I would just I would almost fucking rage quit because once you get knocked down in there, this game lets you know you're not getting fucking out of there without some real effort. Like, oh, fuck. And that's the thing. It's like, you got to think about this in context of 1986, right? Where we have the privilege of being able to just say, okay, fuck this and hit reload on a quick save. Uh, you can't do that on original hardware, which was another reason why I honestly never made it that far in this game, because I just did not have the tenacity, I guess, that it requires to power through those kind of setbacks. Because there were several times when I was doing my playthrough last night where if I did not have a save state, it would have been a game over and I would have to start all the way back at the beginning and work my way back to where I was again because of exactly what you were describing, where I would get hit by something get bounced back that I swear that fucking knockback is the same thing in like Ninja Gaiden pissed me off so much. And it like knocks you into that lava or sand or whatever it happens to be wherever you are. And there are plenty of places where you will just get stuck or you will get stuck in a point where there's an enemy that's like spawning right next to you that is also preventing you from getting back up. And that that doesn't feel good from a, from a gameplay perspective. That's that's frustrating, especially knowing the stakes, right? That you're going to have to yeah. backtrack all over again. Yeah, I mean, people who beat this game naturally back in the day, like you had to have gotten good. It was definitely a get good attitude. Oh, yeah. Um, like you had to memorize memory, uh, enemy patterns, maximize your ice beam. And I know you're going to have plenty to say about that there, too. God damn it. Uh, because if you use your ice beam, you can pretty much avoid a lot of the enemy encounters one way or another, which was beneficial. Um, But I also found that like, once you got the high jump, I found like the control of the game was much better until you got the high jump. 
And once you did get the high jump, then the then the jumping got really floaty mm-hmm. and Samus became really hard to control. Now, you need the high jump to beat the game. You don't have an option to not get it. Right. You have to get it. So the fact that the, the in many ways, the game gets better with all of the things it gives you, whether it be the wave beam, the ice beam, the various suits, the long beam, especially, I think is the most important upgrade you can get in the game is the long beam. Like it makes you feel more powerful. It made me feel more powerful. It made my my enjoyment of the game much higher once I got all these these upgrades, much like you get in any game that has a progressional upgrade system or or leveling system, so to speak. But it, in some ways that that high jump, it almost it almost it felt like it was almost punishing me for getting that because I did feel the controls a lot tighter before that. Mm. Yeah. And uh, speaking of power-ups that kind of feel like a punishment after the fact. Let's talk a little bit about the wave beam. In theory, the wave beam, apart from like the screw attack, I suppose, but the wave beam, as far as Samus's cannon is concerned, is the most powerful upgrade that you can get in the game. It is four times more powerful mm-hmm. than the ice beam, as far as the damage that it does. And it comes out in sort of like a sine wave pattern, almost, hence the name. And that makes it easier to target enemies, especially those little crawling fuckers that are like just underneath your shooting height because Samus can't crouch. Of course. So that all seems real good, right? You're like, okay, like way more powerful, easier to hit things. Awesome. Uh, However, you need the ice beam to beat the game and feel like it is important to note you cannot have the ice beam and the wave beam simultaneously. They replace one another, so you can only have one at a time. And the only thing that clues you in on this, that you need that, is one line in the instruction manual, yet again, that says you will need the ice beam in order to fight the Metroids at the end of the game in Turian. That's that's the only thing it says, but while you're playing the game, or if you didn't have or didn't read the manual, you would not know this. And so what would happen, assuming you even got this far, is you would get the wave beam and be super proud of yourself. And then you'd get into Turian and get immediately jumped by a Metroid who is sucking your life force away. And get wrecked. And you have no fucking idea how to deal with it. Because it's also hyper-specific. In order to kill Metroids, if they get attached to you, you need to go into the ball and set, I think it's six bombs is what it takes in order to get them to latch off of you. And by that point, you're fucked. Yeah. And at that point, well, you have a split second to stand up, shoot them with the ice beam to freeze them, and then swap to your missiles and hit them with five missiles. That is the only way to deal with Metroids in this game. And there is. Nothing outside of the instruction manual that tells you that. So I can just imagine there had to have been plenty of people that roll up into Turian with their wave beam like on, ready to kick some Metroid ass and then just get fucking shit stomped. Yeah. And look, look, I don't hate the wave beam. I just wish there was an option. I didn't get it. I didn't pick it up at all. At all? At all. I used the ice beam the entire game. My time with the wave beam, I enjoyed the wave beam. It made it made getting through some areas a lot quicker, a lot faster, a lot more manageable. I enjoyed my time with the wave beam. 
That being said, I wish there was a way to swap between the wave beam and the ice beam because you need the ice beam for certain situations. There's just no way around it. Like not just the Metroids, but like the Battle of Kraid. You need to have the ice beam because if you don't freeze one of his needles, you can't kill him with missiles. Yeah. Now, I do understand missiles are more powerful than the wave beam, but you only have so many of them. Now, they're not hard to replenish, but they are a limited quantity. And if you rely on them, you're, you're kind of screwed. Yeah, well, and you do. You need the ice beam for a lot of things, actually. I mean, you need to use it in order to make platforms out of enemies in several areas to in order to even mm-hmm. progress. And also, it's super helpful with those guys that you were talking about, which actually I called out in our show notes. Also, special shout out to those Zebs. That's what they're called. Those assholes mm-hmm. that pop out of the pipes incessantly and make a beeline for your fucking face. Like the ice beam is perfect for those because if you freeze them without killing them, they won't respawn. So no, I agree. That makes that super, super helpful. But if like, I'm trying to grind for health or items, the the wave beam is far more useful just because it will kill enemies quicker. Sure. If I'm in an area without those little fucking Zeb things or whatever they're called, the wave beam is better. Like for fighting Ridley, which is probably the easiest boss I've ever faced ever. Not not Ridley. Ripley. Is it Ripley or Ridley? Ridley. It's Ridley. It Ridley. Yeah, it is Ridley. That's probably the easiest boss I've ever fought in the history of bosses. That is such a pushover boss. It's a joke. Mm-hmm. And to have the wave beam makes it go a little bit quicker without depleting my resources. So that's good. So let's kind of talk about the bosses, which are Ridley, Craid. I think that's it. I think Ridley, Craid and, and Mother Brain. Yep. And they all suck. Oh, and, and fake Craid. Don't forget that. Fake Craid. That's yeah, also well, bullshit. Yeah, that, that was the, that was probably the 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 most surprising encounter of the game. It's probably the hardest one because I wasn't expecting it. Yeah. It kind of sucked. The bosses suck in general. I think the toughest one is probably Kraid. Yep. Well, mm. because you have to freeze the needle that's in the it's that center mass so you can launch missiles at them. Yeah, I took the brute force approach and didn't do that, and I just got right up in his fucking face and just hit him with missiles until he died. I mean, you still have to do that even if you freeze that center one. It just makes it that every missile damages him. Yeah, yeah, I I, I didn't do that part. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Then Ridley, all you have to do is jump over his initial attacks, his series of attacks. Yeah. And then just stand in front of him and just fire away. Mm -hmm. No, honestly, no. To me... No, just like, that's it. Like... Yeah. What is it? Yeah. I mean, other than the initial barrage that he throws, which I kind of have an issue with um, how the game handles screen transitions anyway, that, that's a whole, oh, yeah. uh, that's a whole other thing. But suffice to say, yeah. there were several times where I got hit by something that was flying through a, a door while I was transitioning screens and had no way of avoiding it. So that's fun. Yeah, it's awful. But, but the fact that he throws his first volley at you, like immediately as the screen's transitioning and you probably are going to get hit by it is kind of bullshit. But other than that, yeah, he's he's nothing like you just jump up and shoot missiles in his face until he dies. But yeah. Mother Brain, that encounter, I was raging last night so hard. Like that sucks. Why, why didn't you like that one? So much. I didn't think it was that bad. I hated it. I still think it's a shitty boss fight. Like, I can at least appreciate it because they tried to do something different. I didn't really care for the boss. Because sure. Just, yeah, no, I'll I'll give him credit for trying something different. It still sucked, though. Yeah, I mean, but 
I don't see a problem with that boss fight. I don't see a problem with the Mother Brain boss I, fight. I see a lot of problems with it. If, okay. If I, okay. If I didn't have save states, I would have never finished this game. I reloaded at least 20 to 30 times trying to finish this. And I don't know if it was something I was doing wrong. It, it might have been. But it's not even the boss because Mother Brain doesn't do shit. It's, it's an environmental no. fight is what it really is. First of all, you've got the, uh, there's a name for them, but I can't remember off the top of my head. It's like Zebetites or something, but the, the fucking columns, the tubes yeah. are like the mother brain's like food source, according the lore. Are these the little rings that come at you? Well, there's those two. Yeah. Those are a pain in the ass, but like you have to break, I think there's four, uh, four or five of those yeah. tubes in order to get to mother brain and they regenerate if you don't hit them quickly enough. And I don't know if it was me, but all of the projectiles flying around in that room, the, the little rings and just like the bullets that were coming from the little turrets that are at the top and the bottom of the screen. I just kept getting knocked back and it took me forever to get through those tubes. And then when I finally got there, like I said, I had to reload, and this is not hyperbole, at least probably a good 30 times, uh, because I either kept dying or I kept falling into the lava that is between Mother Brain and that last sort of pole, if you will. And if you fall in there, it's impossible to get out unless you can very carefully jump onto the very small ledge that is next to mother brain and then jump back over to the right to get to where you were. Oh yeah. You're fucked if you fall. Yeah. And if you hit mother brains, like glass case, you take a fuckload of damage. It was fucking infuriating. Like I hated every bit of that fight. Everything about it was awful. I didn't mind it at all. I was constantly getting knocked back by projectiles. It was just, it was the worst. The trick to that fight, I guess spoilers. Sure. <laughs> if anyone gives a shit. The, the trick to that fight is when it comes to the tubes, you have to continuously do the screw attack and then you get like then you fire the missiles when you're in front of the tube. Like you just ram on the fire button. And as soon as you land, you do another screw attack and you ram on the fire button right in front of the tube. That way, when you're doing the screw attack up, all those little rings that come down on you, you're you're killing them. And for some reason, the projectiles didn't even touch me for those like little turrets that they had like they because I was just up in the face of that tube. And that's how I got through it. And then with Mother Brain, yeah, I had to reload it a couple times because, again, if you die, you go back to the beginning of the game, mm -hmm. which, uh, granted, Mother Brain's not too far from that, but you still have to fight all the Metroids. Oh, that are in between. Yeah. That and Mother Brain. Speaking of that, can we talk real quick about the lead up to Mother Brain and how it is actually incredibly likely because, spoiler, it happened to me. That like you will get to the door to Mother Brain's room and be low on missiles because you have to use a bunch of them in order to kill the Metroids to get there. And so the the thing you would think you would do is to stop and just farm Metroids for item drops, right? That's what I did, yeah. Which is what I did. However, it's randomized. The drops are random. Sometimes they will give you life. Sometimes they will give you missiles. And if you get a bad run of luck, which I did once, they will give you no missiles at all, even if you're That's at horrible. full health. And if that happens, you are fucked 
because you can't move forward. You can't kill mother brain and you can't go backward unless you're really good at dodging a shitload of Metroids or you just straight up die and have to start back at the beginning and farm up missiles again. And you have to farm health then, too, because you only start with 30 health. Right. Right. With no energy tanks. The fact that that's randomized and it's even a possibility that you could run out of missiles by trying to farm missiles is insane to me. Yeah, I mean, it's a low probability because I I got a pretty diverse split when I played through it with a missile missile to health ratio. So, I mean, you get a maximum of 255 missiles. You get plenty of missiles. But if you're fighting the Metroids, yeah, you could run out and get below what you need to defeat the boss real quick. And that's a big problem. Yep. Yep. Sure is. <sighs> I will say before we move on, because we probably should move on. Yeah. I will give them credit that I that you there are more energy tanks, the, the things that give you, you know, more health <laughs> in the game than what you can actually carry by two. There's eight that you can collect in the game. You can only carry up to six extra energy tanks. So that's actually kind of nice because that means that you could ostensibly miss two of them and still get yourself maxed out. So that is a nice touch. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I do want to say, too, as much as we're bitching about the gameplay, um, actually, no, the game, the, the, there's a lot of problems <laughs> with the gameplay. <laughs> like, never mind. Uh, <laughs> I'm trying to gussy it up a little bit. I, I didn't have nearly as much problems as Shane did. I will say that. I do think, like, my biggest issue with it is that if I died, I know I would go back to the main starting point, but I didn't have as many control issues as Shane did. So I found the gameplay a lot more enjoyable than I thought I would, especially looking back at it, you know, all these years ago. I had fun playing it like I thought the gameplay was relatively tight outside of some jumping sections. I think it was good, especially if you consider the fact it's Nintendo hard. It's just there's so many other things outside of actually directly controlling Samus that I have issues with that really dampens on how I feel about the actual game. Yeah. And for what it's worth, it could also be something more specific to me and the platform I was playing it on because did, did you get any slowdown when you were in mother brain's room at all? There's slowdown all over this game. There's, there's a lot of slowdown. Maybe it's not just me then because that was part of what made it really difficult is it was slowing down to like, single digit frames per second in some cases when I was doing that fight. Not not that bad, but even things I was watching like later on YouTube with original hardware, there's slowdown in this game. There's a lot of slowdown in this game. Mm. Uh, But I think that actually transitions us well into the graphics because I do think that's more of a graphical issue. Yeah. So in in terms of how this game looked, I'll start this one off as this game kind of the graphics kind of suck here. <laughs> I'm not going to gussy this up. I'm not going to make this. Uh, I'm not going to make any excuses here. But look, if you're saying the graphics were if you want to say the graphics were good for 1986 because they hadn't figured out, I think it's called the MMS chip for the NES yet. And um, they hadn't quite figured out a lot of things in terms of the NES in terms of graphical design. You're wrong. Uh, there's there's plenty of examples of how games could look better. If you even look on the Famicom disk system. So I'll say the the original Legend of Zelda had a lot more detail. Uh, Zelda 2 had more detail. Another one is Doki Doki Panic, or as we know at Super Mario Brothers 2, mm-hmm. had more detail in the background. There was just more going on in a lot of games at the time. Now, if you want to say Samus's sprite looks good, fine. I'll agree Samus's sprite looks good. 
but I can't look at these graphics. Like if you look at Ridley and you look at Crate, particularly Ridley, you can't tell me the sprites look good. I don't know what the fuck's going on with Ridley. Like it looks like a long neck dragon that's just kind of like tucked in, like making a meme face or something. I don't know. <laughs> it looks bad. This it, and nothing's going on in the background and the enemies look derpy. I don't I don't I can't make any real statement beyond that. Samus looks fine, but that's really all I can say about the graphics in this game is even for 1986. I won't say that they're like horrible, but they're average. And by the time you get to the end of the NES's life cycle, because even then in 1986, the Famicom was three years old, was three year old hardware because it came out in 1983 in Japan. They knew how to design better. So if you're Nintendo this could have been a better effort than what they gave us. And when you look at the totality of the entire spectrum of where it went from 1986 to like 1991, yeah, Metroid is definitely on the lower end of graphical style. Even if you want to say that the entire black background is because it's in space. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Got it. Still sucks. Yeah, well, you can't even really make that argument either because it's it's according to the lore, it's supposed to be inside of like their space pirate fortress. So that argument doesn't work either. But uh, yeah, I'm I'm pretty much in agreement with you on this. I mean, it was cool when I was a kid. I mean, that's that's fine. But then again, I didn't really have high expectations, to be honest. You know, credit where it's due, at least the different zones are visually very distinct, which is nice. Um, that especially helps when you are playing a game that is this uh, labyrinthine and not having a map available. At least having those visual cues is helpful, but that's sort of on a macro scale. Uh, when we're talking about the screens themselves, this ties back to our whole map rant in that a lot of the screens just aren't distinct enough that you start to feel like you are just either running in circles or you have no real sense of where you are. And a lot of that is, I think, because there is no background. Um, everything is just black. All you have is the foreground sprites and that's it. So, and as far as like the, the enemy designs, I mean, they're whatever, they're fine. They are they're derpy. Kind of, no, yeah, fine. No, uh, well, I okay for what they're supposed to be, they're okay. I just I never understood why, though, like why the enemies are what they are. Because, like, this whole I guess maybe I had this different picture in my head when they're talking about, like, oh, they're space pirates, and like you need to, you're a bounty hunter, and then you show up and they're these little spiky furball assholes crawling around, and you're like. This doesn't seem like space pirates and you don't ever really come across anything that is a space pirate like ever. So I'm not really sure what the direction there was. I guess interesting side note, according to the instruction manual uh, description, Ridley was uh, an original like inhabitant of the planet Zebes that apparently was mind controlled, I think by the mother brain to work for her. So that's a neat bit of lore. Yeah, it's not part of the game. Other than that. Uh, yeah, I don't know. They're all right. Also, lava dragons look like angry seahorses. Yeah, they, that was kind of lame. I just want to point out 
that Ridley looks like pro Jared when he tucks his chin and makes that funny face, if you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> and yep. uh, I know there's people out there that will hate when we make fun of pro Jared. And OK, look, I don't hate pro Jared. Yeah, we got a YouTube comment about that. We did. And we, I, we have <laughs> listeners that don't like him because they know him personally. And we, I'm not going to address that. But he does. If you've seen the picture of pro Jared tucking his chin in. And making that goofy smile, that's what Ridley looks like to me, okay? That's what Ridley looks like. Be mad at me. I. That's just what I see. I can't unsee it. Now, maybe you can't either, so I'm happy if you can't. <laughs> well, I think at the very least we can both agree that the, the Metroid sprite design is by far the best one. Oh, yeah. I love the Metroid sprite design. They, they put all their effort into that. That was, and, and Samus, Metroid and Samus, which I guess makes sense. I still, I'm gonna be honest, like cards on the table, never been a huge fan of the Samus sprite, uh, ever it, the proportions are it's weird. Like it's like, she seems like weirdly lanky and her head's too big. The only time that I thought that sprite looked cool is when you're on the elevators and you get that like front facing sprite. That one looks cool. Yeah. All the other ones always felt weird to me. Uh, I, I like it. I, I think it's acceptable. Also the running animation is goofy as fuck. It is. I'll, I'll agree with that. The animation's pretty goofy. But the animation's still good. I mean, I guess. I mean, sure. There could have been some more frames in Samus's running cycle. Because it feels like her legs just kind of like snap back and forth. It snaps your legs back and forth. Um, <laughs> I'm just nitpicking now, so. I know. New art, we are getting way too harsh on this game. We need to dial it back. <laughs> which means that let's... Let's get to a section of this game I think we both universally like when we talk about the uh, music and sound direction, specifically mm. the music. So, so, so Shane, what did you think about the music here? Oh, yeah. The music's awesome. Completely diametrically opposed to our our, our hot take on the Metroid's graphics. Uh, the, the music is really good. This This is one of the big reasons that I kept coming back to this game, even though I sucked at it when, when I was a child is the music and some of the sound effects are just so well done. And at this point, obviously iconic, I mean, okay. Even the title screen music, like when you fire this game up those first few, cause it gets a little different after about 10 to 20 seconds into the track, but like those first few seconds of that title screen track are like the best way that somebody can express ominous space shit with chiptune music like it's just so well done and i guess it gave this sort of like very weird otherworldly kind of quality it's hard to describe because like when you're a kid things seem a lot more mysterious you know than when you're an adult and you're jaded and cynical and you know everything about everything mm -hmm. i don't know did you like do you do you know what i'm getting at that like it it had like a vibe that it was like this strange semi unknown thing that in my child mind was like this weird mythical ominous thing. I don't know. Does that make sense? You no, know, it makes, it makes total sense. And I think that's because Metroid was, was doing something relatively different than a lot of other Nintendo games were doing is they were making a soundtrack that was atmospheric. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The, that was the entire purpose of, the soundtrack, at least what I got from it, because I don't think every every song on this soundtrack or every instance where you do have background noise going on is meant to be something you can jam out to. Right. right. And that was what you were getting from almost 
every other game. It was just like trying to be this constantly kind of melodic, enjoyable tune, unless you were like in a dungeon for, for Mario. But even then, it wasn't like mostly atmospheric. It was just like, oh, you're in a dungeon. It's bad. When you get to Metroid and even when you get to an area where you have a power up and, and I'm looking at these notes and it says that you didn't necessarily like it. I think I, I did because it was this uncertainty that, you know, what, what's coming up, what's what's going to be here. Like the first time, maybe, like especially. But if you like go to like two or three times later, like, yeah, it, it, it gets kind of old because, you know, you're getting a good thing as opposed to something that, you know, is negative. But largely Metroid's looking to do something in games that you really didn't get until the PlayStation era, by and large, effectively. I think they did it really effectively for an NES game where they they used the soundtrack to establish atmosphere rather than just noise to keep the player going. Yeah, and I know you were talking about the, the item areas and stuff. And like, okay, I only say that it's annoying because it's just the beeping is can get grating, especially if you're spending a little bit of time in one of those areas. But again, like credit where it's due, like I know why they did it. And it does give you that sort of like cold vacuum of space, like very impersonal sort of vibe. So I think they got what they were going for. Um, And it is, it is kind of off putting, which is actually strange because that, music is reserved specifically for areas where you are going to get something good. And yet the music is very much not that sort of like upbeat track that you would expect from, from an area like that, which I think is interesting. It's creepy. Yeah. It's super creepy. It's creepy. Yeah. But I love it. I I love that. It's creepy. I didn't have a real problem with any of the tracks here just because I kept in the back of my mind, like, this is your atypical game. They were trying to make an atypical approach to how they were writing music that was standard at the time. I know you have some some problems with some of the music, if you want to elaborate. Yeah, sure. We can, we can go through them real quick. Um, I mean, obviously, yeah. the Brinstar theme is great. Uh, everyone knows that one, most likely because that's the farthest any of us ever made uh, in mm-hmm. the game. But it's super catchy. It's it's great. It's probably one of the... It's, Actually, I think the most typical track that you're going to get out of this whole game, one that you would expect from, you know, other NES titles. It's, it's a little more upbeat to kind of get you get you in, get you going, that kind of a thing. I think for me, the weakest spot is basically the entirety of Norfair and also Ridley's Hideout. But that whole section is just kind of a bummer. I didn't really like the music at all. Norfair's theme is it was funny because when I was like going through and kind of listening to the soundtrack again on YouTube, one of the top comments for the Norfair theme was it's like the the wandering around like a dumbass theme, <laughs> which is super apropos because the the track itself is very sort of like plodding and, and slow. And also Norfair is probably one of the places that a lot of players end up wandering around and getting lost. So I guess it fits. And then Ridley's hideout was just kind of meh. So like that whole area of of Zebes can just fuck off as far as music goes. I don't like any of that. Craig's hideout, though, 10 out of 10 MVP. That track is fucking bomb. That one is great. Nice. I almost want to say that I, I prefer uh, Tanaka's track with Metroid to anything 
you know, Kochi Kondo was doing with Super Mario Brothers or Zelda at the time. Now, mm. Kochi Kondo would, I think, become better than Tanaka long term because uh, Koji Kondo does some fantastic work, but so does Tanaka. Sure. But I think at this moment, Tanaka just, I think he crushed it. I, I think he crushed the soundtrack. And it sounds like you you disagree because of those two tracks. And I think I could understand that, but I think they're just different approaches. Uh, I just comparatively. Yeah, it, right. it's comparative. Like he was, they were being experimental with it and, and that's fine. I, I'm just from a personal perspective, just, I didn't really vibe with those tracks very much. Also, sure. quick shout out to Turian, which basically sounds like somebody copied Super Mario Brothers Castle's homework and changed a few words. That's fine. But they <laughs> Everyone does that. Uh, they all do that. But I think, OK, just very briefly on overall sound design, I thought the overall just sounds were below average. Yeah. 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 I mean, they're there. They they're serviceable. They, they do what they need yeah. to do. I think the only real standout for me is just like the the, the item get sound that little jingle is is pretty good that's ost that's that's music i mean whatever it's like six seconds long i i i consider (laughs) that a sound effect i do like the little bomb sounds that are made when uh you you morph into a ball and you drop a bomb i do like that Mm. i think they're fun yeah i like those that's something i do like so uh before we give our opinion on whether or not this holds up today shane you have some notes for us today in terms of some random miscellaneous yeah so we we actually i had more in our little miscellaneous category but uh we covered a lot of it either in the brief history or just in the natural course of discussion but there is one kind of interesting thing that i figured i'd point out so the various suit that you get in the game was actually a mistranslation from Japanese, um, which is perhaps not surprising. That kind of thing happened quite a bit, um, especially back then. Uh, so it was originally supposed to be called the barrier suit because, you know, it reduces your damage. And so it's a barrier. But uh, barrier suit uh, in Romanji, which I didn't know was actually a term, but it's basically like Romanized kanji, I suppose. Yes. Is sutsu. So when it was fully translated into English, Whoever did it apparently thought Baria was supposed to be Varia, and that's kind of how we got that. But honestly, a, a Varia suit sounds pretty badass, so I think it was a happy accident. It does. So fun fact for people who don't know uh, Japanese katakana romanji kind of stuff, this that's one of the equal letterings that they use when they translate, just like R's and L's. So sometimes R's and L's would be mistranslated because you can... In many cases, hard to tell whether or not a Japanese speaker wants to use an R or an L when they're using Romanji. Mm-hmm. So what they do for Bs is a lot of Bs are in place of Vs because you don't have a hard V consonant in the Japanese language and how they design their language and and uh, their you know katakana, hiragana, kanji and stuff like that. So if you like watch Dragon Ball Z, for example, um, probably many of you can relate just to just to put this in, in perspective. Vegeta in Japan is Bejita because they don't have a V. So it's Bejita. It starts with a B, hmm. but it's supposed to start with a V. So I can understand why a translator would see Baria suit because it depends. I don't have it seen the kanji and they confuse it for Varia. Hmm. I don't know why they would say Varia, but it, it, it it's something because that's like you see with R's and L's. Sometimes you're going to see that with B's and V's. It's just something that happens, especially back then. The more you know. There you go. Yeah. So Shane. Yes. Does this game hold up today? 
Uh, um, not on its own, not as it was intended circa 1986. No, you know, as I said, I listen, I was able to finally complete this game for the very first time at the, at the ripe old age of 35 only because I had a full map and a walkthrough and save states at my disposal. I think Chris disagrees with me a little bit on this point, but I truly believe that the game does get challenging enough that if you don't have a way to save your progress periodically in that sort of fashion, outside of just the password system, because that just necessitates a shitload of backtracking, then you're just going to be replaying a lot of sections of this game. And if that's fun for you, then great. Um, but without a map or a walkthrough to guide you through this experience, it is, it is a, it is a Shane stamp of approval guarantee that you are going to waste a shitload of time going through and exploring areas or backtracking or going into places with like little to no payoff or, or nothing at all, just straight up dead ends that were put there just to fuck with you. And not to mention just m- completely missing at least a few pretty essential items as we discussed earlier. So uh, I think I think without speaking for him, Chris and I kind of are in agreement on this last point that if you really want to experience what the essence of the OG Metroid is, pick up a copy of Zero Mission and throw that into your handy dandy handheld and play that instead because you are going to have a much better time and also the story will get told to you through the game rather than the instruction manual that you probably don't have so i'm largely along the same same thought process as shane here first of all happy 35th anniversary to you metroid so right there i've done more for you than nintendo has oh jesus that's right i forgot that we mentioned that. <laughs> that was like the whole reason <laughs> we're doing this episode is a 35th anniversary. So Metroid 35. There you go. This is your gift bequeathed unto you, Metroid fans, from us. Because <laughs> Nintendo won't. Happy birthday. We're shitting on Happy your game. Happy birthday. So does it hold up? No. It doesn't hold up, I don't think, at all. If you're just going into this natively playing this without a map, without a guide, without anything. Uh, but I, I have to take in consideration, I can't completely shit on this. And it's kind of like the same way as as how we treated Zelda, because we shat on Zelda pretty hard, too. Yeah, we we did did it with the caveat that when it came out, it was a different experience that had a different mentality for the time it was released. Sure. In 1986, you didn't have the Internet. In 1986, if you bought a game for fifty dollars in today's money, that's what, like fucking three hundred and fifty thousand or something like that. Uh, So. Like you're going, I know it's not 350,000, just stop. But if you're going to get a game and you're, you're going to put a lot of money into it, especially as, you know, someone, someone who earns a paycheck, you're going to want all the value you can get out of that game. So when Metroid didn't come out with a map and it didn't come out with a lot of quality of life improvements that you probably could argue could have been there because they were kind of doing it with Zelda. The entire point was to say, hey, here's a map, explore it, see what you can do, see where you fail, see where you succeed, wonder, you know, here's the manual that you're supposed to read. What items are going to allow you to do the things you want to do? Where might they be? Have you explored every nook and cranny of the map? Yeah, so sure. In 1986, this was a perfectly acceptable way of designing video games. Today, it's not. And you should not play this game 
natively, you should play this game with a guide. You should play this game with a map unless you really want to just buckle down and learn all the ins and outs and nooks and crannies of this game. And if you're not willing to do that, then don't bother with this game. That's what it demands. That's what it expects. And it's it's that's the anachronism for what it is. I agree with Shane. You want to play Metroid? You want to play the original Metroid? Play Zero Mission. You're going to get a lot further with it. You're probably going to enjoy it a hell of a lot more on the GBA. It's a fantastic game, but this is not it. Unless, like I said, you want to draw maps, you want to spend hours and hours and hours learning everything about it. But uh, most people probably won't, and I certainly would not. So I'm going to say no. All right. Fuck this game. There you have it. The Metroid episode. Another 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 big one to check off the list as we creep ever closer to our our big three digit episode. Happy birthday, Metroid. That's right. <laughs> Better Congratulations. You, you suck. <laughs> <laughs> so you, you you can only hope. We've, we've still got a few months left. Maybe 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 Nintendo will do something. Probably not. But, Ooh. you know, you never know. I can't wait. I can't wait until we talk about Super Metroid. Then everyone's going to hate me. It's going to be great. Oh, God. It's yeah. going to be great. <laughs> uh, well, in any case, uh, that is going to wrap it up for us this time. So if this is the first time you are joining us, then uh, hi. Hello. Welcome. We're, we're glad that you're here. And if you are a longtime listener, then we are glad that you are sticking around and we haven't uh, scared you off yet. So there you go. We do provide a couple different ways that you can engage with the show a little bit more outside of uh, just being a, a listener, if you'd like to do that. Uh, we have a public Discord with a really great community that's going on in there. A lot of good chats, a lot of good memes get posted, fun stuff. Um, actually, one of, one of our patrons, uh, the Llama himself, has kind of taken it upon himself to start a monthly high score competition for the Discord folks, which is fun. So uh, you could be in on that too. So you can jump in there. You can check out our Patreon or our merch store if you would like to support the show in that fashion, as well as the official site, all of our social medias, and the Twitch page, uh, as well as YouTube. Uh, and you can find all these things in one convenient location. You just need to go to linktree slash retro hangover that's l-i-n-k-t-r dot e-e slash retro hangover choose the destination that suits you best and chris would you like to tell the fine people about our stream sundays so we do this thing it's called the sunday night stream mm. and you can find it if you go to the linktree link and tr click on twitch because you'll find us there on 9 p.m eastern time on twitch.tv slash retro hangover. And I just gave you the link on top of clicking on that link in the link tree. So you're welcome. Make it so easy. It's so easy. And you can go there and you can clip subscribe and follow us. We enjoy it. You can do that to the YouTube channel too, uh, in case you don't catch our streams. Yeah, we have a lot of good conversations there too. As Shane said, the llama's there. Mass Llama, he, he's, he's always a great addition there. We have Randall who always shows up. Just Chimera showing up from time to time as well. Sometimes Backlog Adam is uh, back lockdowned and he shows up. 
and we uh, love everyone who shows up to the stream. We are try to engage as much as possible, of course, when Shane's not displaying his sultry, sexy British voice. Mm. If you want to show up there, we greatly appreciate it as well. But we're, we're going to have a good time. But hey, Discord's where it's at. So Shane, back to you. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, I suppose with all of that being said, until next time. Play with your Metroid won't get off my goddamn joysticks. Shane here with a quick message. You know, the one rule Chris and I have always gone by regarding advertisements is this. It has to be something we use and can personally vouch for. If you know me, you know I love coffee. And Bones Coffee Company has been my go-to for home brewing for quite some time now. Their small batch beans come in an impressive variety of flavors like Mint Invaders from Chocolate Space or Electric Unicorn, which I swear tastes exactly like Fruity Pebbles. And the best part? No added sugar or calories involved, just natural flavors infused right into the beans themselves. Build your own sample pack of five four ounce bags to find out which flavors speak to you, or jump in headfirst with full 12 ounce bags. They've even got K-Cups. Step up your homebrew game with Bones Coffee by visiting bit.ly slash RHP Bones. That's B-I-T dot L-Y slash R-H-P-B-O-N-E-S.